Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mission Success Women in Multifamily, the monthly podcast series dedicated to powerful female professionals in the multifamily industry. I'm Laura Kaluger, Senior Editor with Multi Housing News. My guest this month is Denisha Irizari, who serves as Director of Operations for OneWall, a workforce housing owner, investor, and manager in the Northeast and Mid Atlantic. Denisha has more than 20 years of experience in property management, so we'll focus on the main challenges that workforce housing owner-operators deal with today. Denisha, welcome to Mission Success. Thank you very much for accepting my invitation. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. First, I'd like our listeners to get to know you a bit better. You're now the Director of Operations for OneWall, but how has your professional journey been so far from, from leasing agent to a leadership role? That it's a pretty interesting journey, actually, and I share this uh, several times just with people in the industry and peers that I work with, uh, because although property management is is large, it's it's really small. Um, and prior to starting my career in property management, I worked in hospitality from mm-hmm. 2003 to about 2007. I went from a front desk agent up to a catering sales manager for two global companies. Um, and interesting enough, I applied to a property management company, a REIT in 2005, and was offered a position as a leasing consultant. But at that time in my life, I decided to go in a different direction and took up banking for a few years. And then I okay. eventually made my way back into property management. And the woman that I interviewed with in 2005 ended up being my new manager in 2013 through an acquisition of the small world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I always tell people don't burn bridges. It's a big industry, but it's so small. And your peers do come back to you in one way or another. So I, I always found that so interesting, but I did get into property management in 2007 And I started as a sales and leasing consultant. And over the course of now 17 years, I've worked as assistant community manager. I worked in maintenance for about a year and a half doing turns and working with the maintenance manager for maintenance budgets and renovations and capital items. Uh, I was a multi-site sales manager overseeing the leasing performance of about 1,100 apartment homes. Uh, I oversaw customer service issues for about four years, was a community manager, um, and then I ended up at One Wall. I started as a leasing director overseeing our uh, northern New Jersey portfolio, which at the time was about 1,900 apartment homes, mm-hmm. and transitioned into a regional role as an operations manager, and I'm the director of operations today, so it's been exciting. 20 years later, you're the director of operations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do want to add that outside of the hands-on, on-the-ground experience, I really took the time to invest in my personal and self-development and surround myself with good leaders in the organization. So over the last six to seven years, I've gotten my designations through NAA, and IREM. Um, And then I also took some additional self-expression and leadership courses, which I really think helped influence my career in property management and just move through the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. You had so many roles and you did 
so many uh, things related to your education. So what would you say was the most difficult thing along the way? That, that's a great question. So in terms of the actual industry and, and doing the job, one of the biggest items that come to mind is just the technology changes over the years, right? Where we were right. back in 2007 when I got into the industry is very different than what it looks like now. And as I, yeah, as I reflect, I, I think when I, when I first came into the business and I was a leasing consultant, the expectation was that we needed to contact prospects a minimum of nine times before we closed out their guest card. And oh. of those nine times, six times had to be a phone call and three were an email. And 20 years ago, that worked. But now in, in 2023, I was actually reading a really interesting statistic that 51% of consumers actually prefer to text over mm -hmm. talking on the phone. And only 16% of consumers actually want businesses to call them. <laughs> right. So when you think about how technology has changed and uh, how people really value and treasure their time and convenience, it's forced us to really adopt better and more efficient ways to communicate with our customers. So, so definitely just keeping up with technology uh, has been uh, a challenge. And as an employee, uh, just growing through the ranks, um, when I really reflect being an African-American woman, seeing someone like me in leadership roles uh, very early on in my career was very important to me. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the industry was really dominated by white men in leadership roles as COOs and CEOs and even regional positions. Right. It was challenging for me to find that person that shared my experience and my background uh, for me to really look at and say, you know, if they could do it, I can do it. Uh, so along the way, the last 20 years, I've ran into some really amazing women that have led the way for me. But early on, that, that's definitely something I would highlight as uh, an obstacle. Right. And we're going to touch on this a bit later. But now I'd like to know to what extent is the fact that you spend a lot of time on site in, in those various roles you told me about, to what extent is that fact helping you today in your daily activity? Tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually think in my current role, it would be incredibly challenging for me to do what I do on a daily basis if I did not have that experience. And the reason I say that is because I've always been a policy and procedure driven individual. Uh, I like rules and order and structure. <laughs> and I'm also responsible for overseeing general training, especially with new hires and any new processes or solutions that we roll out to the organization. Mm -hmm. So now sitting at a, a corporate level, that's a few levels removed from our on-site teams, being able to reflect on the times where I had to sit in the leasing consultant chair or the community manager chair, or I was working with our service technicians to turn apartment homes and to renovate apartment homes and address difficult maintenance requests. It helps me to not lose sight of what our on-site team members uh, deal with and have to face on a daily basis. 
and the resonant experience on the other side of that. Um, so the practical knowledge of just understanding the day-to-day -day challenges and the operations that are involved in, in managing any asset type, really being aware of the resonant perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the key things I think about is if you didn't grow up in the industry, uh, you, you know, a resident will come in and, and place a noise complaint. Right. And as a landlord, there are certain things that you know that you do to check the box to address the complaint. And you could just move on to your next resident issue or the next, next task on your list. But being a community manager for a few years and being in the room with a resident who's telling me about this noise issue, but as a newborn baby and they're experiencing sleepless nights and they just went back to work in the morning, there's a level of human connection that comes with that. Exactly. Um, so as I'm writing you know, policies and procedures and training, I, I really keep in mind what it means for our team member and then what it means for the resident to really stay grounded in the way in which we, we run our property management company. What would you say are the top challenges that workforce housing owner operators deal with today? What are the most difficult aspects of this uh, job? I would definitely say that rising cost above all else is probably the number one challenge. Uh, with the increasing cost of real estate, construction, general property maintenance, uh, those costs are generally passed through to residents through rental rates and rental increases. And as a result, it makes it much more difficult for operators to supply affordable housing and for the workforce population to afford the suitable housing. Right. So it's balancing act of offering and providing affordable rents to the demographic you serve while still maintaining your building. Uh, <laughs> And keeping it functional so that our residents do have a happy and enjoyable experience with us. And in addition to that, I would definitely add staffing to that. Um, That's very common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's a struggle. And I, I speak to our director of HR and our senior VP of property management quite often about this struggle. Uh, but maintaining a really skilled property management team to oversee the day-to-day -day operations and resident relations can be very challenging, especially in a competitive market or a competitive, competitive labor market, I should say. So we've had to expand beyond the traditional job boards and really look into professional associations and industry-specific websites um, to try to capture that experienced and skilled uh, professional that we're looking for. At One Wall, we are a very, very technology-driven organization. Mm -hmm. So finding those professionals that are very comfortable with technology or at a very minimum have a willingness to learn is very, very critical during our, our search for team members that we'd like to bring on board. So um, in the recent months, we've, we've just been working through those challenges, but it's looking bright on the other side. Um, also, there's there's a misconception among some investors that workforce properties usually have deferred maintenance issues. And it is true that there are value-add opportunities in this asset class, but this is not a defining feature, that's for sure. What would you say are the defining characteristics of workforce housing properties? Affordability, for sure. 
so the federal government actually defines workforce housing as housing that's affordable to those that earn between 80 to 120% of the area median income. So what that means uh, is that we generally serve a renter base. That's the underpinning of the U.S. economy. So we have the government employees, firefighters, healthcare workers, service workers, and teachers that really populate our workforce housing assets. Um, so definitely affordability is a main characteristic. Uh, location, uh, workforce housing properties are generally located in close proximity to job centers, public transportation, and essential amenities to life, like school and healthcare facilities and grocery stores. There's always a consistent demand, especially in areas with strong job markets and population growth that makes these asset types very stable and recession resistant and a great investment choice for uh, investors and, and property owners. And then lastly, I would certainly say that it tends to provide a stable cash flow and strong occupancy rates. Since these residents that we attract, the firefighters, the teachers, the service workers are more likely to stay long-term in their apartment home. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at low turnover and low vacancy costs. So it really is a attractive asset type for investors that really want predictable returns. So typically workforce communities lease up quickly because of their affordability. Uh, can you please expand on your strategy to attract and retain residents in this moderate income bracket that plays such a critical role in the economy? Absolutely. Maintaining competitive pricing <laughs> is definitely at the top of the list. So continuing to set reasonable and competitive rental rates that really align with the income of our target demographic is really critical to really attracting and retaining those residents, making sure that we're getting those qualified applicants in the door and mm -hmm. we're doing everything we can to keep them happy and satisfied at our communities. We've also really been focused on our online presence, especially reviews, online reviews. It is uh, such a, a critical driver in people's decision-making uh, whenever they're looking for a product, regardless of, if it's a product on Amazon or their next apartment home to, to move into, uh, making sure that our website is well-designed and that our social media platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn we're very active on. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, above all else, is maintaining really strong customer service and communication with our existing residents. They need to know that you care, that you're listening, and that they feel valued. And if they have an issue or a concern that you're doing whatever you need to do to make their home feel like home again. Mm -hmm. Speaking of improving residents' lives, I know One Wall recently partnered with Suzu to help its residents improve their credit scores or establish credit scores for the first time. What are the results of this collaboration so far? Are there any other initiatives meant to, to improve residents' lives at One Wall? Yes. So I have to give a huge shout out to our asset management and our property management teams at One Wall. Uh, we partnered with Isusu, I want to say about a year and a half, two years ago. 
And there were really three things that we wanted to provide to our residents from a financial perspective. And the first was the chance to improve their credit score, which is so important in our modern economy. Mm -hmm. The second is the ability to make rent payments in a way that really aligns with how they receive their paycheck each month. (laughs) (laughs) And the third was the resources to just handle life's challenges. You know, we all go through things throughout the month, throughout the year that are unexpected. So how do we partner with our residents to uh, make sure that they can still afford their housing and provide them flexible ways to make their rent payments throughout those difficult times? So I did take a moment to pull some statistics, uh, which I thought were really, really interesting in our time with Isusu. So in the time that we've been with Isuso, we have 3,900 residents that are reporting credit to three of the major credit bureaus. And 59% of those residents have seen improved credit scores and 178 established credit for the first time. And looking at the numbers, like when you're doing it every day and you're just having these conversations with residents, you don't really see the impact of what you're doing. Uh, So I really thought those were some really interesting um, stats uh, from our partnership with Isuzu. We also found that residents that had established credit scores before partnering with Isuzu have seen an average improved score by 34 points. And 8% of those residents were moved from subprime to prime scores. And then lastly, Isuzu has helped partner with OneLaw. 78 families secure housing stability loans at 0% interest. So these loans are designed to really help families work through their life challenges. Um, Isusu helps to provide a a way to cover rent. So outside of Isusu, we are really excited. We've been having some conversations actually in the last few weeks with a few other vendor partners that will allow us to provide more flexible rent payment options to our residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and our goal is really just to offer as much financial support and stability to our residents as possible. Particularly so, in this economic environment. Absolutely, yes. So there is more to come in the following months, but uh, we're excited about it. Can you tell us more about the type of amenities residents can enjoy at OneWall's properties? Which ones are most in demand today and, and why do you think that is? The most in-demand amenities generally align with convenience, modern living, and just our residents' lifestyle preferences. And during and post-COVID, when we saw an increase of those uh, individuals that either working from home or studying and learning from home, we saw a spike in the usage of basic amenities such as fitness centers, swimming pools, our clubhouse, our playgrounds. At two of our communities in Pennsylvania, over the last year and a half, we installed electronic vehicle charging stations, which was a really fun initiative for us. This is a growing Um, need across the board. Yeah, and our our asset management team identified that pretty quickly as a need and implemented it at two of the communities. And as electric vehicles become more common, these charging stations are more and more important to our residents that are focused on the environment and are very conscious about what that means in their daily activities. And then uh, as always, 
in-unit washer and dryer. <laughs> it's always, it almost feels like you can't have an apartment today without a washer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the convenience factor of having that washer dryer inside of your apartment home is is always very highly sought after. Yeah, we're we're slowly approaching the end of a complicated year. I, I'd say. Where will your efforts be be directed for the rest of the year? Remaining focused, very, very focused on continuing to provide the best-in-class customer service that our residents have enjoyed from us. Keeping retention rates high while still continuing to control our cost uh, is very important to us. And we've also spent about 14 years really building out our own infrastructure on how we manage our own assets. So at a time when acquiring properties has been much more difficult, we've decided in the last six months to leverage our infrastructure by launching a third-party management arm of our business that would really help institutional and family-owned properties in the Northeast Mm -hmm. optimize on their financial and operational goals and success. So over the next three to six months, uh, we are focused on getting that on the business off the ground and, and seeing how we can bring our talent and expertise to other to other landlords. Sounds like you're going to be very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to say the least. Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay. And now finally, a question I, I ask all of my guests, and you you touched on this topic a bit earlier in our conversation. Do you feel like the multifamily industry and the workforce housing sector in particular is going in the right direction when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? So yes, I do. I do think that we've made notable strides in the recent years towards improving DEI efforts. But of course, there's still work to be done. Uh, The things that I think that we are doing well is the basic awareness and commitment to approving these efforts and initiatives, I think is the first step in Mm -hmm. really pointing towards the right direction to get things going. Uh, Many companies have actively worked to create diverse workforces by implementing inclusive hiring practices and really promoting diversity at all levels and providing the education and training, which I think is essential to what we need to do as human beings and professionals within the industry. Uh, Our customer base is so diverse and our employee base, all walks of life, uh, different experience uh, all over the world. And we have to remain aware and sensitive to our cultural differences while still continuing to embrace them. In terms of heading in the right direction, those are the areas that I recognize that we are definitely starting to improve in. When I reflect on the challenges and areas for improvement, you know, what I talked about a little earlier, I would circle back on, is really the representation. Uh, While progress has been made in promoting diversity, I think that there's still a lack of representation of underrepresented groups, especially minority women in leadership roles. Um, so companies really need to continue to promote diversity throughout all levels of the organization. And as you have these individuals uh, that are diverse and they move through leadership roles in an organization, they're often responsible for really shaping the company's culture and policies and practices. So 
it, it's just, it's critical to really have a mixture of individuals uh, on a team with different perspectives and experience to really make the organization the best it can be. Of course, still collecting the data mm-hmm. and really understanding um, how this data is related to diversity and inclusion is essential to measuring the progress and really identifying the areas that still need improvement. Um, And I I think we're still going to be doing that for many more years to come. And lastly, Laura, I I do want to say that podcasts like this that feature and highlight uh, women in senior executive roles really gives us a platform that can show other women that look like us that it is possible uh, to have a visible role model who looks like them. So back when I started, I I really wish I I would have had that. Um, And sometimes you have to go through the school of hard knocks (laughs) to get out and learn. But I really think the ability to learn from the experiences and strategies of other women that have sat in your same seat gives you the opportunity to gain valuable insight and and to overcome any barriers that they may face in their career. So thank you for having me and (laughs) providing this platform for me to share my story. Thank you so much for these for these kind words. Uh, I can tell you that I, I can promise you that we'll we'll keep doing this for as long as multihousingnews.com <laughs> exists <laughs> uh, because it's really important to to put the conversation around DI at the forefront and and keep this conversation alive until things really improve the way they should. Thank you. And a thank you a thousand times over for keeping this top of mind and a priority. Denisha, it was really great talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you again for having me. Thank you all for listening. The next Mission Success episode will be available on the third week of October. But until then, visit multihousingnews.com for the latest news, podcasts, and trend stories.